Welcome to this broadcast of Truth for Today. Uh, today we'll be doing uh, a lesson in the Sermon on the Mount. It'll be part two, uh, which I have subtitled The Disciples' Influence. Uh, I want to remind you, before we start this, that um, the Sermon on the Mount was not preached to the masses. There might have been some in the crowds who heard it, but it was directed at his disciples. And if we consider ourselves disciples of Jesus, then these teachings are applicable to us. And this is not a pie-in-the-sky goal to reach for. Jesus expects his disciples to do these things and live this way. So he expects us, if we call ourselves disciples, as well. So before we get into today's study, let's open with a word of prayer. We thank you, Lord, for your revelation to us, not only in the words of the scriptures, but in the person of Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit in our lives who is commissioned to bring us into all the truth and to remind us of everything that Jesus has taught us. So we welcome the Holy Spirit's ministry so that the truth that we learn can be we can we can apply that truth in how we live every day amen last week we talked about the character traits of disciples which frequently are referred to as the beatitudes so uh today we'll be talking about the disciples influence uh, and Jesus is going to use two metaphors, and we'll talk about them. Um, but behind these metaphors, uh, the church are some things that we need to understand, that the church and the world are two distinct communities. And these metaphors he's going to use are going to show aspects of that distinctiveness. And our ability to relate to the world depends on our distinctiveness. The world tends to decay and is a place of darkness. Disciples are expected to hinder social decay and to dispel the darkness. The first metaphor is salt. And we'll be reading Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. For a long time, even as a Christian, I could not grasp the meaning of this verse because all the salt that I had been exposed to was mined and refined. It was pure sodium chloride. And if it was there, it was salty. Or it wasn't there at all. 
So this made no sense to me. Until the good offices of Dr. John Stott, when he wrote the book, which I'm going to recommend to you again, um, because it is the best uh, explanation of the Sermon on Mount I have ever read. The title of his book, the modern title, is The Sermon on the Mount. It come, it, in an earlier edition, uh, it was titled um, The Christian Counterculture. So I, I strongly recommend getting that book if you want to get a really good understanding of The Sermon on the Mount. So, salt. All the people, who, the disciples at Jesus' day, listening to Jesus, clearly understood what he was talking about because they lived it. He was using something that was common to them, and so therefore they understood the meaning. In our modern world, we don't understand, unless you're using that Himalayan pink salt. You use that Himalayan pink salt, you may already understand. See, the salt that the people of Israel were using in Jesus' time was not mined and refined. It was collected or from evaporated seawater, either from the Dead Sea, depending on where you were, or along the coast, the Mediterranean Sea. So people would take water out of the ocean and they would let it evaporate and they would collect what was left behind. Now, people nowadays do the same thing, although I think we mine the, the Himalayan pink salt because there are huge beds of it, but it was basically it's sea salt from an in, interior ocean that evaporated. And it's not necessarily refined. So what's the difference between sea salt and the refined salt that we use nowadays? Well, sea salt contains other minerals the good stuff, some other good things for us, like potassium chloride as well as sodium chloride. Sodium chloride is the refined salt that we talk about. It also has magnesium chloride. So you get these other minerals that your body actually needs in sea salt, which is why in most modern times sea salt is becoming trendy because it's good for you. However, sea salt has some other things in it that I like to just call dust. It has no real value. It doesn't hurt you, but it has no real value. And so if you got your salt like the people of Israel did from the Dead Sea or the Mediterranean Sea, you had the good things and you had these useless things all together in what was sold to you as salt. And the way they would usually carry salt from where they took it on the coast or at the Dead Sea to where people were going to use it on the, in the interior of Israel was they put it in sackcloth sacks. We use the word burlap today. But it's a cloth sack, and you can, because it's cloth, you can make the sack various sizes. I'm sure when they tied it on the mules or the camels, it was in big sacks, you know, like 20-pound sacks of flour. Okay, now we have paper, right? But 
20 pound sacks of salt. So they would have these 20 to 50 pound sacks of salt. But when they sold it, they didn't sell it in 20 pound sacks. Okay, so they had smaller sacks that they put the salt in. That, but, but these are sacks made of sackcloth, burlap, so people could buy in, because it's expensive, salt's expensive in those days. And so they, they had, you know, maybe a one pound, they would buy a pound of, of salt and it would last them hopefully a long time. But there's a problem with sacks that affects sea salt. And that is these sacks, even if they were leather, this problem would exist. Is there, they are affected by moisture. The sacks are. The moisture will wick right through the sack into the salt. Now, in the salt that we get, you put moisture in it, it just disappears. It's gone, right? I mean, you could try this yourself at home, okay? It just goes away, okay? So that would happen if you put your sack in a humid location or where there was moisture present, or if you were if you left it outside and it rained, okay, you would still have white stuff in your sack, but the salt would be gone. The the thing that make the sodium chloride, the potassium chloride, the magnesium chloride, the good stuff would all have gone away. And, it, and over time, it doesn't even have to get sopping, sopping wet. All it has to do is have dew collect on it, and over a long period of time, the same thing happens. So the salt lost its saltiness. Okay, so why was salt so expensive in the ancient world? Well, because of what it was used for. It was used to preserve food. If you want, especially protein food. If you wanted uh, your food, your protein food like meat or fish to last for a while, you salted it. And why? Why would that preserve the food? Well, because salt kills bacteria which also made it very valuable for healing wounds. You've heard the expression, at least those of us in English-speaking countries use this expression, about rubbing salt in the wound. Well, they used to actually do that. They would even pack a wound and bind it with salt in it to prevent bacterial infection. But it did hurt. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> it it cleansed the wound, prevented infection, but it hurt. So it was an antiseptic, and it was a preservative, and that's why it was expensive. They didn't have refrigerators back then or freezers. So how are the disciples salt? God intends his disciples to serve as the most powerful restraint on a sinful society. If you want 
a graphic example of what kind of society the people of Israel were living in. Go to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through the end, and that will show you the kind of society they were living in. And you will find strong parallels to the society that we are living in. So Christian saltiness is Christian character. This is building on the Beatitudes. Expressed in deeds and words. Those who stand and say, this is not right. This is unjust. This is not the way God intended things to be. Those are words. And living your life in accordance with what God has said is the way it should be is the way that we extend saltiness into the world. And if we expect to have an influence on our society, it will depend on our distinctiveness, not on our sameness. There are some really famous examples in the United States. And we're about to go through another example as we go through the hearings for the nominee for the Supreme Court of SALT because the nominee is a practicing Roman Catholic who strongly believes that abortion is morally wrong as the church teaches. And she will be harangued and harassed by members of our society because of her distinctiveness in living a life and speaking the truth. But we have other examples. I mean, we got the Christian baker in Colorado. We've got the Christian florist in Oregon or in Washington State who are basically being driven out of business or attempts are being made to drive them out of business because they are living their lives following God's ordinances and the society around them is persecuting them. But their saltiness has an influence. Everybody who hears their story ha is influenced by how they live their life and what they have said. So this is what Jesus expects of his disciples. Know the truth and live the truth. Be distinctive. Do not be the same as the society around you. So next Jesus moves from that metaphor of salt to the metaphor of light. We'll be reading four, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So what is the light? The light 
is the good works. These fall under two categories. Evangelism, where you're speaking and proclaiming the light, and compassion, where you are living and demonstrating the love of God. Those are the good works. That's the light that is supposed to be seen. Now, later, Jesus is going to talk about motivation in the heart, and we'll cover that when it's time. But now he's talking about what is the effect of your good works. They are to be seen by the people around you for the reason that they those people can then glorify the Father in heaven. So a disciple's distinctiveness must be seen and not hidden. I think if all the people who actually are followers of Jesus in the United States took this seriously, we would see a a revival very similar to the one that occurred in starting in 1820 in this country. I think I think from my experience bearing in being in various churches around the United States that the majority of people even who claim to be disciples and not just churchgoers are timid. They they want they tend to conform rather than to be distinctive. The key here is to be distinctive and in a way that is uh, can be controversial but is not hostile. And there's where the compassion comes in. If you have compassion, you're not hostile. And disciples need to focus on the attention has to be on the source of the light, not the lamp. We are the lamps. Okay, We need to make sure that people focus on the source of the light, not on the shape or the material or the cleanliness or whatever of the lamp. A lamp is just a vessel. Okay, the light comes from God. Some things that you should remember. The fundamental difference between disciples and the world. Disciples are different. They're called to be different. We are expected to be different. How are we different? We're different because our way of life, the things that we do, the things that we say, reflect the character of God. Disciples have this as a responsibility. This is not an option if you're a disciple. We need to remember what the allegories are of salt and light. Salt and light, the oil that gives the light in the the ancient world, give. Oil gives light. Salt gives antiseptic and preservation. 
But the only way they can do that is if they are expended. So, this being salt and light means that we have to expend ourselves through our energy, our time, as we give light and restrain the evils of our and social decay. And we have a double influence. We resist the spread of evil. That's the salt part. And we promote the spread of truth. That's the light part. And I will emphasize that the promotion has to be to a right hand, left hand. You have to speak the truth and you have to live the truth. If you live the truth but don't speak it, no one knows why. If you speak the truth but don't live it, no one will believe you, even if you speak the truth. So you need to do both. You need to live the truth. You need to speak the truth. And remember that your good works are works of compassion, which is just demonstrating God's general providential love. And you can put all kinds of things in there. Um, you help a homeless person. I mean, there's I, I saw a story the other day about, and there was even a movie made of it, of a woman who helped a homeless person and what, how that changed her whole life as well as the homeless person's life. That was an act of compassion that had a profound demonstration of how God generally providentially loves us. Um, and I think of um, missionaries who go out and one of my favorite books is a true story. Um, the title of the book is The Peace Child. I don't remember the author. And these these missionaries, their their goal was to translate the scriptures into the language of the people who didn't have a written language. So the first thing they did was they acted with compassion. They brought medical supplies. They had medical training. They went to this group of people who didn't have a written language and were kind of isolated from the rest of the world. And they learned their language and began to learn their culture. And they provided medical help to the village. They acted with compassion. Over time, as they learned the language, then they had already demonstrated their compassion. Now they were able to provide the truth. And then they began to translate the scriptures into the language which they had actually put into written form and taught the people how to use writing. And 
as they learned the culture, they even were able to find the key thing in the culture that would best communicate the gospel of God's love in the person of Jesus Christ. And when they did that, they had conversions. I mean, the whole village basically converted over a very short period of time. So they lived out this principle of being light to this place that was initially dark. And they did it by acts of compassion as well as proclaiming the truth in their evangelism. Very effective. Took You couldn't do it in 30 minutes. Okay? Took them a couple years. Usually a project like that for a group going out is a 20-year project to get the entire scriptures translated. It's a lifetime for that group. But there were eternal benefits for that for that group of tribe. And I think of the story, another true story, which is a great movie, although some of you who don't like violence were not would not like to see this movie. It's called The End of the Spear. And it's the story of a missionary group that was in South America. And uh, the men were killed. Uh, the, the tribe didn't understand what was happening, and they got frightened, and they killed them. And the women, the next year, went back to the same tribe. And through acts of compassion, through helping them through a sickness, they were able to again communicate the truth. And the tribe basically converted over a short period of time to being followers of Jesus. So there are some good examples of disciples who take this seriously. So the more disciples that do take this seriously, as Jesus expects us to, the stronger will be the light in the world. So thank you for joining us today. If you would like to join in the question and answer period of the live session here in Sun City West at Sun City West Christian Church, and you happen to find yourself in Arizona nearby, uh, this live session, which is being recorded, um, takes place at 9.30 in the morning on Sunday. And you can join us, and then you can participate in the question-answer discussion period following this recorded teaching. Uh, you're certainly welcome to join us if you're nearby. God bless you all. <laughs>